Wow, Palm Sunday. We've come pretty far. Um, this, this particular day brings back a lot of memories for me. I don't know if you all remember, this is the season uh, last, last year, one year ago, when we were trying to figure out if we could have church, how we're going to have church. The pandemic was kind of really starting to, to increase in numbers, and, and it was scary. And, and we're back, and God's been so faithful to us. We are here. We are in person. We are worshiping the Lord. And um, I'm so excited about celebrating Easter and this season with you all in person, right here in this place. God is good. Now, Palm Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus' grand entrance into Jerusalem, it begins what we now, what many of us know as Holy Week, uh, the, the days preceding his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. I want to talk to our kids for just a minute about what Palm Sunday means and what we're going to talk about this morning. So most of we have uh, any kids, most of the kids are kind of all concentrated right in our little nursery here in the front. Got a couple in the back with Miss Alice. It's good to see you guys. So when I was a little boy, uh, my dad didn't really travel very much. Um, He was a shift worker at John Deere, and so he was kind of always, he left at a certain time, he came home at a certain time, we traveled together on family vacations, and our life was very steady, sort of regulated by the seasons of school and summer and his shifts and things like that. But I do remember that uh, every couple years, he, he and his friends would go to Colorado, and they would go elk hunting. And uh, so dad being away, you know, for a week uh, or two weeks, that was kind of a big deal. It was weird to not have dad at the house. And I remember, you know, back then there were no cell phones, and I'm going to tell you guys this, when, you, when we had to use the phone back then, we would take this thing called a receiver off of what we called a hook, which is a little thing that went up and down. You take it off, and you heard a dial tone. Have you ever seen one of these things? Have you got, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And you'd listen, and then we had a, it's called a rotary dial phone, and so you'd put your finger in a hole and turn it like this, and then let go. And it would go tick, 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 and then tick, 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 tick. And right, so it took you like five minutes to dial a number, and then if you messed up, you know what you had to do? Back on the hook, back off, and start all over again. It was a process. Well, so we didn't get to talk to Dad every day like you guys get to talk to your parents when they're away now, probably once or twice a day or text or whatever. It was like while he was gone, he would call, uh, he would call like twice, and he would have to call collect. Do you guys even know what that is? Okay, so calling collect is where he would call from a payphone, and we would pick up, and the operator would say, well, you take a collect call from, and then whatever he said in the phone is what we heard, and so we would have to pay for the call. So, and it was expensive. Like, it was, you paid by the minute, and yeah, it was pricey, and so these guys, the kids right now are like, what is this guy talking about? He's like a dinosaur, and so I feel like one right now. Um, so he, he would call, and we would get to talk to him like once while he was away, and so dad would call, talk about if they shot an elk or how things were going. And, you know, as a kid, I was so excited that he was, you know, doing this new thing. And I would always ask him, so have you had time to get my present yet? Right? When dad went out of town, he would always bring something back for us. And it was so exciting. And have you all gotten a present from mom or dad like when they travel? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Your dad must be awesome. Yeah. So, um, 
So I would ask him, like, did you go? No, no, I didn't, I didn't do that yet. And so I would be so excited waiting for him to come home to see him again for the present. It was all amazing, right? So when dad would, would come home on the night when he was supposed to come back, it was almost always at late afternoon or night. Um, like the dog, we had a Springer Spaniel, I could hear the sound of my dad's truck coming down the road. Did any of y'all have a parent who had a truck or a car that you just knew from like a few blocks away, you knew it was that parent? Anybody? Will saying yes. Okay. So Alethea is raising her hand as well. So I could tell, I knew when dad was supposed to be home around like what hour, and I would be waiting, and I could hear his truck. And as soon as I heard the truck, I would run through the house. Dad's home. Dad's home. Let's go. It's like Christmas time, right? Everybody, Stop watching TV, stop reading, whatever you're doing. If it's dinner time, we all got up, we would all go outside because dad was coming home and it was so, so exciting. That's what Palm Sunday is, okay? Palm Sunday is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem right before the week of his suffering and then ultimately his death and then resurrection. And that's what we're going to celebrate Next Sunday is we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And so Palm Sunday is Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem when everybody gathered around as he rode in on a donkey and just yelled out, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, the Messiah is here. That's what Palm Sunday is about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So the, the team here singing, um, they talk about this concept of the road to Calvary. So I'm going to kind of run with that this morning and we're going to be in John chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, open it to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. The words will also be on the screen. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. First thing we learn is that the road to Calvary went through Jerusalem. The road to Calvary went through Jerusalem. John 12, verse 12 says, On the next day, this is the day after Jesus left Bethany. You remember Mary anointed his feet. There was a big dinner in his honor. The next day after that, a large crowd who had come to the feast, that's Passover feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, verse 13, they took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him. So we're going to stop right there. So Jesus leaves Bethany the next day after Mary anointed his feet with oil. And he comes into Jerusalem. John reports that a large crowd had traveled to, to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. This is probably the biggest holy day for the Jews. And so they've all gathered in Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate the Passover. And as a part of that, they're all gathered in Jerusalem. So scholars believe that probably there were uh, at least a couple hundred thousand of pilgrims who would have come to Jerusalem at this time. They would have been scattered all over the city, on the, on the sides of the city, on the slopes, outside the city, in tents, staying in, in, in homes. Wherever they could find a place to stay, that's where they would stay. So picture hundreds of thousands of people crowding into Jerusalem. Now they've gathered, and now they're all starting to gather to get a glimpse of Jesus. Picture these thousands of people along this roadway stretching their necks to see the man, Jesus, from Nazareth. At other times in the past, such as when Jesus fed 5,000, he, he declined to allow them to begin a movement to make him their king. But this time, 
because God has ordained it, Jesus is prepared to receive their worship as their Messiah. This time, it's different. Verse 13 continues, it says, They took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet Him. Thousands of people have gone out to meet Jesus. And, and they began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. So this waving of palm branches is interesting. And what we learn is historically, Israel used the palm branch as sort of their national emblem of freedom and worship of God. And so when someone would do something amazing, uh, among the Israelites, they would grab these and they would wave them kind of in honor of that person. And so they're grabbing this. This is like a symbol of their national pride as Israelites. And they're gathered along the road. We also learn that they, in other uh, parallel texts, that they laid coats down on the road. And, and they grab these palm branches and they're waving them as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and, and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So during the Passover feast, the messianic expectations or the, the, the celebration in Israel that one day God's going to send the Messiah, those are going to be at an all-time high. And so here comes Jesus, and the people are receiving him as the Messiah, as the one whom God sent to free Israel. His entrance into Jerusalem fulfilled many, many prophecies. Specifically, the people quote two prophecies. The first one's found in Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. It says, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Listen to verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So they're quoting Psalm 118, which is commonly accepted by the Israelites as a messianic passage or a passage about the Messiah who will one day come. They're also quoting Zechariah 9.9, written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Listen, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble, listen, and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the people recognize that Jesus is fulfilling this age-old messianic prophecy. Could this be the king? Could this be the Messiah that God sent to save us? The crowd believed that at this moment Jesus was ushering in the Messianic age. Their use of Hosanna, Hosanna, means salvation is now. So they're yelling, salvation is now. Our, our salvation is here. This perfectly articulated what Jesus came to do as their King. But it's interesting because Jesus brought salvation in a very different way than they thought. You see, what they believed their Messiah was going to do was that he was going to be a king like David or Solomon. That he would come in and, and he would free Israel from, from captivity to the evil Roman Empire. That he would raise up an army and that, that they would beat 
that they would beat the Romans, that they would find their political independence, that they would once again be able to worship God in freedom, that they would attain their lands again, and that they would, they would be a people following Yahweh, and, and that the Messiah would be very much a, a political force. They didn't understand what Jesus really came to do. That Jesus came as a suffering servant. That, that Jesus didn't come to live and be a political power, but that He came to die and help us to have forgiveness for our sins. That He wasn't a political Savior. He was a spiritual Savior. The people didn't understand that in this moment. Even Jesus' disciples didn't understand what He was doing as He rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. Look at verse 16. It says, These things His disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things were written of Him and that they had done these things to Him. Even Jesus' closest disciples didn't understand who their Messiah really was and, and what He came to do. Jesus' disciples needed to experience the cross. They needed to experience Jesus' death and torture. And most of all, they needed to experience Jesus' resurrection from the dead before they could understand who He really was and, and what He really came to do. One scholar writes, they lacked the perspective of the cross and the resurrection. I'm so thankful that God is patient. Verse 17 continues and says, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, you guys remember when that happened? They continued to testify about him. For this reason also people went and met him because they had heard that he performed this sign. So even after Jesus' exciting entry into Jerusalem, the people continued to testify about what He had done, saying, this is the man, this is the Jesus who raised that man Lazarus from the dead. This man has power over the dead and death itself. This story, this testimony about Lazarus caused even more people to gather around Jesus of Nazareth as he entered into Jerusalem, the crowds began to swell. Picture, hear the sounds of their chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Listen to the crowds as they chant the name of Jesus, as they proclaim him as the Messiah sent by God. Imagine how the disciples felt. From their perspective, this movement that Jesus had begun was coming to its height. But they didn't understand that the pathway to peace was the road to the cross. The freedom that Jesus offered was freedom from sin's consequences. That the restoration and redemption that God promised was eternal and global in nature. That the war that Jesus will fight will be a war against not Rome, but against sin and Satan himself. 
That the victory Jesus will win will be one of heavenly proportions and have eternal significance. What Jesus came to do was much more than reclaim land for Israel, but to reclaim souls back to God. The pathway to peace is available from the Prince of Peace. Some things have not changed. The people then that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, many of those same people were the ones who shouted for Him to be crucified. Even today, we are a people, humanity is a people who are searching for peace. Don't we live in a world that hungers and thirsts for peace? Check out the the latest national media site online. Read the local newspaper. Go on Facebook or Twitter. We're a people who hunger for peace. The problem is, is the media, pop culture, government, all different powers in this world, they say they offer peace, but the peace that they offer falls short of the real peace that we need. We need to go to the Lord for peace. Jesus offers a peace that no one and nothing else can offer. John 14.27, this is what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. In Philippians 4.7, to the believers who follow Jesus, this is what he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day as a misunderstood Messiah. And He gave His life on the cross. He died. He rose again on the third day, conquering death and sin and Satan and offering a spiritual peace that every person needs. That every person hungers to have. On that day when He rode in Jerusalem, He rode in as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He began an unstoppable movement and everything that God's enemies did to him during his illegal rest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his death fulfilled a beautiful plan that God sent him to complete. You see, the road to Calvary gave glory to God. The road to Calvary gave glory to God. Flip your Bibles over to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at a couple verses in that passage. This is a parallel passage that describes Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Luke 19, verse 39 and 40 say this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So what's happened is, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. 
Picture the thousands of people gathered on the roadside, laying their coats down, laying palm branches down, grabbing them and waving them in the air. Hosanna, 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 saying salvation is now, salvation is today. Blessed is He, this man Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. He's our Messiah, blessed in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees see what's happening. They're nervous. Picture the Roman garrison just a few hundred yards away watching what's going on. Watching the swelling crowds compelled to praise God and shout that their Messiah has come. They know what the Jews are celebrating. They know that the Jews are celebrating this man, this king who's come to free them. They know that the Jews don't want them in Jerusalem. The Pharisees see this. This, this is you know, a potential riot they know what could happen if, if the Roman garrison doesn't like what they see. They will come in and with extreme prejudice silence what's happening on that road. They'll come in and they'll steal what little power these religious leaders have. They don't want that king. They want to live the way they've lived. They want to retain the power that they've worked so hard to have under Roman authority and so they talk to jesus tell all these people to stop yelling are you crazy don't you know what could happen wow that sounds familiar jesus's response is awesome and his response should be our response especially this week especially this week what does jesus say i tell you if these become silent, meaning these thousands of people gathered around, if they're silent, the stones will cry out. I think what Jesus said there is true, right? Because we know that Jesus never told a lie. We know that Jesus never sinned. So if Jesus said, if this whole crowd gathered here became silent, the stones would cry out. You know what that means? Somehow, miraculously, those stones would cry out and give God glory. Unlike every other moment in Jesus' life where he deferred his glory to God in this moment, because the timing is right according to the will of God, Jesus receives that worship. So much so that he tells the Pharisees, if, if you are silent, if they're silent, God has willed this moment and his creation will cry out. His creation will cry out and give God glory. The Pharisees and other officials who didn't believe in Jesus tried to silence his followers and prevent them from praising God because the king had come. You know, after this event, people have been persecuted and persecuting Christians and attempting to silence them from praising God for the entire age of the church, right? Sometimes the silencing of the church and the message of the gospel seems like it's prevailing. It seems like we're losing the fight, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like we're fighting a losing battle. It feels like our message is being silenced. But listen, church, the message is not being silenced. 
nor will it ever be silenced. In fact, God's promise to us is that people will continue to proclaim the gospel from now until Jesus comes back. How do I know that? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus' promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The message about Jesus will not be silenced. And that's God's promise. So you know what happens? If in our fear, Fifth Street Baptist Church becomes silenced by this culture, if we're afraid to tell people about Jesus, you know what will happen? Oh, the gospel will die in in Key West and no people will be saved. That's not what happened at all. Jesus said even the stones will cry out. You know what? If we're not going to share the message, God's going to send somebody to share the message. So we have an opportunity to be a part, to be one of those stones that cry out and give glory to God by telling people about Jesus. Maybe you have family friends, family or friends or coworkers. Maybe you go online and, and read the news and maybe you feel like, I just can't, I just can't tell people about Jesus. I just feel muzzled. I, I, I feel like I can't proclaim the message. None of that's true. That's a lie from the enemy, Satan. The enemy, or I mean, the, the message will be proclaimed. That's a fact. Now, is God going to use me to do it? Am I going to be a part of proclaiming the message? Because if I'm silent, if you're silent, God will call someone to do it. Someone is going to do it. Oh Lord, that that would be us. That that would be this church. That we would say to this culture, I will not be silent. You will not cancel Jesus or the gospel message. We will proclaim the gospel I will proclaim the gospel. You know, it's interesting. Um, I had a a church planter friend that I had met in Canada uh, a few years back, and his daughter had an opportunity to be an actress. And so she's in a few pretty well-known movies as a child. And uh, their family is evangelistic and so excited about the Lord. I mean, they're starting a church, so it's pretty exciting. And so... um, they are part-time church planters, and then part-time he takes his daughter to these movie sets where she's an actress in mainstream movies. And uh, when you talk to his daughter and ask her, like, you know, how do you feel about this? She says, well, I don't meet a lot of Christians on these movie sets. And she's like, so I feel like God called me to go there and tell them about Jesus. And then she followed it up with, with about three stories of world-famous actors and actresses with whom she shared the gospel like two weeks ago when I had met her back then. This girl was like 11 years old, sharing the gospel with some of the most influential people in the world. 11. When I heard that, I thought of this text. And I thought of Jesus kind of speaking to my heart as I thought about that text. Saying, you know, 
If you're not going to tell people about Jesus, then, then I'll have her still. Like This 11-year-old girl, without any kind of fear, is going to share the gospel. Because that's what I've called. That's what I've decided and determined to be done. That really, really convicted my heart. An 11-year-old girl telling the most influential people about Jesus, and yet I stand here silent. When God called us to be a part of that crowd, presenting to the world, Jesus has come, Jesus has come, salvation is here. Hosanna, Hosanna, will we be that church standing on the edge of the road with our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers yelling and praising God, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Jesus has come, peace is here, turn and believe in Jesus. Third, the road to Calvary continued as an unstoppable movement. This is easily my favorite part of the text. Turn back to John 12, 19. John chapter 12, verse 19. That's our text that we were just at. So, the crowd is swelled. Jesus is riding through in a donkey. The religious leaders are telling Jesus, you better, you better silence your people. How dare they? And Jesus says, I can't do that. This is the will of God. If they were silent, the stones would cry out. Now this is what happens next. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. So the Pharisees are the, are the Jewish religious sect who's in power at this time, right? They, they're the ones who are exercising control over the Jewish people as their religious leaders. They never liked Jesus. They challenged his teaching. They threatened his life. They spread lies about his origin and his intentions. They ignored his miracles and then dismissed them when they were undeniable as works of Satan. They threatened his, his disciples and persecuted his followers. They poisoned the minds of the people so that they would reject Jesus as the Messiah. After doing all these things over a period of three years, they gather in their little group here, and this is their answer. What we're doing is, is, isn't accomplishing anything. The world is following after him. Jesus' moment began with a dozen men. His 12 disciples. Today there are over 600 million Christians. And you know in the places of the world that have some of the highest rates of persecution are the places where the church is growing the fastest. <laughs> I picture Satan talking to his demons, saying, what are y'all doing up there? What you're doing is not working. The whole world is following Jesus because we are and we will. And this movement that Jesus started will continue to grow and the crowds will continue to swell and more and more and more people will come to faith in Jesus until He returns. I think of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. The great vision from John of what will one, take, one day take place in heaven. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count 
from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Jesus came and He lived a perfect life. He died as an atonement for our sins. He was buried in the ground and He rose again on the third day. God purposed that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection would be a blessing to the world. That through Him, we would be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. So be encouraged today, church. The prophet Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 14.27, For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as, has, and as for his outstretched hand, who can turn it back? What does that mean? The movement that Jesus began will continue until he returns. People will continue to be saved. The church will continue to grow. Why? Because the battle's already been won. Jesus faced sin and death and the enemy Satan on the cross. He was dead and He rose again on the third day. He accomplished victory over death and sin and Satan. He redeems us from slavery when we repent and believe in Him. And nothing, nothing, nothing will stop the movement of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. Nothing. The war's been won. And now it's time for us to go out into this place, into this city on this island, into our neighborhoods, and just tell people about the victory. The war's been won. All we have to share is good news about Jesus. We can do that knowing that this world and the people in this world are looking for hope. They're hungry for it. They're grasping on to whatever they can find. And and picture this, as they grasp, it's like smoke in the air. They, They grab hold of it and it floats away. And the more they try and grab, the more it just floats away. And the things they can grasp are fleeting and leave them empty and looking for more. That, that's the state of this world. And, and God's called us to go out and to wave our palm branches in the air and tell them there's hope in Christ. There's hope in Christ. The victory's been won. Turn from sin and trust in Jesus and receive the peace that He provides. So what should we do? We're going to have a time of invitation. And so here in this church, if you're visiting, that means in a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. We're going to sing a song together. You're going to have an opportunity to respond to whatever God's laid on your heart. Or you want to come up and pray here or respond at your seat, whatever it is. It's time to do that in just a minute. I know that the world is looking for peace and hope. I know that. I also know that next Sunday is Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. 
If anybody in your family, friend, co-workers, neighborhood are going to go to church ever in the whole year, they're going to go on Sunday. That'll be the day they decide to go. Most people you know will come if you invite them. Did you know that? Most people that you invite will come. Now, I've taken the step, our leadership have taken the step of providing opportunity for you to invite people to church. We made it real easy. It's an invite, says you're invited, has everything that's going on on Easter weekend. We're even going to take, we're going to make it hard for you not to do this because we're going to hand them out when you walk out. So your first step in being one of those believers who shares the gospel is very simple. Take some of these cards, take them home, invite your friends to church. Let's practice, ready? So you have a card, you walk up to your friend, (laughs) hi Bill, hey how's it going? Great, next Sunday's Easter, yeah, hey would you come to church with me? Hand him the card. Bill might say, I don't want to go to church. That's okay. It's not your job whether Bill comes or not. It's your job to invite Bill to church. Right? You could do that, right? Invite him to church. Give him a card. He might say no, and then in two, two days, three days, he might see this and come anyway. People need peace. They need Jesus. They need to be here on Easter. So I want to invite everybody to stand now. During this time of invitation as we sing, I just want to ask you, please, to consider who are those people that you want to bring on Easter. Right now, the enemy is probably, or maybe your flesh or whatever, bringing all kinds of excuses why you're not going to do that. Just put put those to the side. Jesus said he was going to increase his church. Jesus gives us this amazing spiritual opportunity on Easter. Put all those aside. There's no excuses. There's no reasons why you're not going to do this. We're going to do it, right? Repeat after me. We're going to do it. Say it. We're going to do it. Okay, so you all said it. Like your SBS and your no be no. So we all, that's it. We got to put it aside. So if you feel like you're too afraid to do it, you're, no, I said in church, I was going to do it. And I'm going to. Whatever you need to do, get these in the hands of people and invite them to church. Many, many people will come. This time, this moment, this season right now, people are looking for hope more than ever. After this pandemic, not being able to be with people, to fellowship with people, they're looking for hope and peace. And the peace isn't going to come in a stimulus check or a new job or or a, a husband or wife. It only comes through Jesus. And you know that because you have the peace that Jesus provides. Let's go out and let's tell people and invite them to be here. Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation. I pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would compel us to go from this place and invite people to be here at church on Sunday. I also pray in advance over those people who we're going to interact with, our friends and neighbors and coworkers. I pray that you would move their hearts, that you would draw them here so they could hear the gospel so they can have the peace that Jesus provides. Thank you, God, for all that you've done in this worship service. Thank you for unifying us under this purpose to fill this place to celebrate you rising from the dead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.